Hello there, film lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Socey. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And we have a blog, which someday we'll update at filmsociology.tumblr.com. It's just me and you today, although the majority of today's show will be devoted to uh, a broadcast from earlier this week when I appeared on the WFYI call-in show No Limits with host John Krull, along with fellow film critics Ed Johnson out of Nuvo and Chris Lloyd of the Film Yap. Uh, so I'll be playing that in about six minutes, seven minutes or so. But I do want to talk about a couple of films of note that uh, came out in theaters this weekend. The big one I think you should see, because Suicide Squad, well, it probably won't be here that long, but uh, the blockbusters will be here for a while. But there's a documentary about Frank Zappa called Eat That Question. Frank Zappa, in his own words, um, this is one of those documentaries. Um, I- I'm a big Zappa fan. I've been a Zappa fan since college. And uh, so when it's a documentary like of, of a subject I know well, the the main thing for me, just for me, Matthew Sosi, host of Film Sociology, is is it bringing me footage or information that I did not know before? As much as I enjoyed the documentary, the people versus the U.S. versus John Lennon, I sadly knew all that information. That's not the film's fault; it's my fault. Um, and much of this film is this film. This documentary is a Frank Zappa album. It is basically interview footage of Zappa, news footage of him touring and traveling, and then performances. And that's it. There's no, uh, really no talking heads talking about him as a person, a musician, a composer. There's no voiceover. There's no place cards. It is just 90-some minutes of him speaking and his music. And that's probably the perfect venue for a Frank Zappia documentary. And there was some footage I had not seen before, uh, especially an early cut of him uh, playing a bicycle on the Steve Allen show back in the, probably it looks like early to mid-60s. If anything else from the documentary you should remember that he is a composer. He he makes reference to people know him by name. People know him from a famous poster of him sitting on the, on the can. People know him for being a political activist going against the PMRC in the eighties. Um, but they probably know him more than they know his music. And it's not for everybody, although I think it should. Um, and he's covered a myriad of genres of music, uh, including creating his own. Uh, so that's, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I, I forgot he appeared on What's My Line, and uh, nobody could guess who it was except for Soupy Sales, so shout out to that. But there is a lot of great footage. So if you're a fan of Zappa or if you – I don't mean this to say that it's solid 101. It is – I mean, I think it's a, it's more than a an intro to Frank Zappa. Because you find out about him as, like I said, as a as a composer and as a person. Because uh, the the cancer near the end of his life really did him in, but he did not let up, uh, even uh, even staring at uh, death's door. So, anyway, it is a lot of fun, I think, and uh, it's in theaters. So hopefully, you should go check that out. Now, yes, the big film this week is Suicide Squad, a superhero movie being released in August. But it's not a superhero movie; it's villains posing as well, it's DC, so it's not Marvel. So um, it is basically, a, you take a, uh, basically it's a PG-13 version of the Dirty Dozen done by DC Comics. You take the villains like um, like Will Smith's character, like uh, Margot Robbie, who's one of the highlights in this is Harley Quinn, and you take a few other criminals and they go after even worse elements. Um I wish the film had been R-rated because I think if you're doing something where quote-unquote villains are the quote-unquote heroes, the protagonists, then you should just go all out. But I know it's Warner Brothers and it's DC and they want to get as much much of your dollars as, as humanly possible. Uh, I'm not a comic book person and I know that the comic community is really taking the film to task. Um, it's not the worst film ever. It's not even worse than Batman versus Superman. At least this one, it's shorter. Uh, there is, of course, a lot of setup to introduce you to all of the characters involved in this, uh, like Harley Quinn, like Diablo, like Deadshot. That's Will Smith's character. Um, when you see that Deadshot has a daughter and he's trying to get back to her, uh, you can sort of see why Will Smith did this film and it's slightly different. Um, so there's a lot of setup before we get to the job itself. Um, some characters are drawn out a little bit more. Uh, Viola Davis gets to have fun playing the one who's organizing this. Obviously, Margot Robbie has fun. 
fun as Harley Quinn. Uh, great write-up on uh, about Margot Robbie and her persona in the Onion uh, AV Club, if you go check that out. And contrary to popular belief, uh, or at least contrary to popular trailers, Jared Leto as the Joker, who's basically picking up where Heath Ledger left off, he's only in the film for a few minutes, so don't let that, uh, don't let that be a selling point. Uh, I have my usual gripes. There's the action scenes where I don't see anything. Um, some characters, as I said, are more fleshed out than others. Big shout out to uh, Jay Hernandez and his performance as Diablo. Um, folks like Killer Croc and you have uh, Boomerang who don't get enough time. They're just kind of there. Um, so anyway, it's it's okay from writer-directed David Ayer. Um it could have been probably better, and I'm sure there's going to be an R-rated video release uh, with a half hour of extra footage. I just don't know if I'm up for watching it. So anyway, it's it's okay. It is not. It's not the worst film of the year. It's not even the worst. Well, anyway, moving on. Uh, a few titles of note on DVD and Blu-ray. Some really good stuff, uh, or at least more fun than Suicide Squad. The Lobster with uh, Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz, among others, where it's a it's a dystopian society that doesn't involve teenagers saving the world. Uh, if you don't get married and get a mate within a certain amount of time, you turn into an animal. That's more interesting to me than uh, trying to adapt a big-budget film version of young uh, youth lit- uh young adult literature uh you have the bronze because bad gymnast is not that good of a title um if you're into the bad films it's okay um it it probably could have been raunchier but that's all right uh the tom hiddleston film high rise um set in the 70s and the high rise of course is symbolic for class system people who live at the high and near the base uh near the penthouse have it better off than some of the people lower um i wish i'd seen this in the theater it's a it's a wild ride i i just uh, wish i could have experienced it on a smaller screen and uh, i know we have the meryl street movie uh Florence Foster Jenkins, the Meryl Streep Can't Sing movie. Uh, The French version of that film, which came out earlier this year in in the United States called Marguerite, is coming out on video this week, and you should check that out. And I do want to give a laurel and hearty handshake and a salute to character actor, that guy, David Huddleston, who died this week at the age of 85, best known for playing Olsen Johnson in Blazing Saddles and the title character of The Big Lebowski. As I wrote online... Uh, jokingly, apparently the bums have won. But this is a guy who's been working all the way back to 1960 and appeared in films like Black Like Me, Bad Company with Jeff Bridges, did a couple John Wayne films, Rio Lobo, as well as McHugh, uh, played the mayor and the Klansman, played a doctor in Breakheart Pass, um, even played Santa Claus in Santa Claus the movie, the god-awful thing from 1985, but best known, of course, as Olsen Johnson and The Big Lebowski, and I really can't quite quote those. But anyway, salute to a working actor, David Huddleston. Okay, well, let's go to uh, two Tuesday of this week at WFYI, here I am hanging out with John Kroll, Ed Johnsonot, and Christopher Lloyd. Here is No Limits. Enjoy. Welcome to No Limits. I am John Kroll, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the StatehouseFile.com, and your host. Today is one of our, our favorite shows of the year. It is the summer movie show, um, and we brought the old band back together again, once again. My guests are Matthew Sosi of WFYI's Film Sociology, Christopher Lloyd, the film Yap, and Ed Johnson Ott of Nuvo. If you'd like to join the conversation, we've already got somebody who has via Facebook. Uh, you can you can reach out to us uh, by phone at 866-476-3881, by email at nolimits at wfyi.org, by Facebook at nolimitswfyi, or on Twitter at wfyi. So I guess we'll get this out of the way. I'll, I'll dispense with my question and go with the, the Facebook question immediately. Um, this is from a listener named Rex who says, If today is the movie critic, guys, I would be very interested in hearing Ed Johnson-Ott's view on Suicide Squad spoken in rhyming verse, if possible. <laughs> so, Ed, wow. I, I think you've been queued up there. Well, all I can say, and don't forget, is that I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and we say us too. Uh, yeah, okay. we're actually seeing that tonight. So, oh, unfortunately, okay. his timing is a little off. So, are, are you looking forward to this or, or, or not? I think it looks horrible. <laughs> I think the trailer, I mean, they've, every trailer I've seen has turned me off more. So I'm really looking forward to it because I'm I'm hoping for a huge surprise. I wish it were rated R. 
Mm -hmm. I, I mean, if, if, you know, look how much money Deadpool made for being an R-rated, quote-unquote, superhero movie. And, uh, you know, they could have, and they probably should have with the last DC film that came out. But, you know, we, we're not running studios. We're here. And this is the big, this is the big sink or swim weekend for the summer. I mean, this is the last chance. After this week, they're just throwing stuff in the fire. Yeah, people start going back to school, and yeah. and, and the vacation season begins to end, and schedules tighten up, all of that. So, Rex, I'm sorry we couldn't get an answer for you, but actually, if you want to follow up on Facebook, I bet we could persuade Ed to uh, to. Share his views on Facebook after our Facebook page. I'll be happy after to. He's seen the, after he's seen <laughs> the movie. If Rex lives in Indianapolis, I'll take him to the screening with me tonight. <laughs> okay. And I'll, I should have a review on this weekend's film sociology. And I, apparently I've been – it's been okay. I'm going to replay this chat oh, on yeah. the film show this weekend. So, John, thank you yeah. for helping me with a big chunk of my show. Oh, oh sure. <laughs> Glad to do it. Anything, anything to help out. So let, let's do the overview. Has it been uh, a good summer for movies so far, a bad summer? Um, I'll start with you, Matt. I, I, I took a list of the films that I liked, and then uh, right next to that I would put a star and for, next to the title. And for me that indicates this this film has a chance of actually being a film that I were, I'm going to talk about at the end of the year. And uh, right now I have four, maybe five films of note. Uh, of of these, the big summer films, my favorite so far has been uh, The Nice Guys. The uh, the Shane Black directed uh, buddy detective thriller sort of comedy with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling and uh, you know it's not nearly as big as uh, you know a Marvel film or whatever but it was it was a lot of fun for me it was a throwback to you know it's a 70s detective thriller comedy and uh, Shane Black of course is the guy who created Lethal Weapon and uh, I enjoyed myself actually that was one of the more fun evenings I had with my daughter. Uh, at the movies, so hashtag family values. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's that, I think that's probably of the big summer movies that was my favorite. Okay, Ed, good um, summer or bad summer? Well, an interesting summer is. And I usually don't pay a lot of attention to box office, but this is this is the summer where America said thank you, no thank you. Mm -hmm. um, the the studios have been expecting audiences to race out in the same numbers for their sequels. And this was the summer where people went, I've seen enough superheroes for now. I still like them. I probably will watch this one on DVD or maybe I'll catch the next one. But they're not racing in the numbers they were. And that makes it a more interesting summer. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, for me, it was um, Captain America Civil Wars. Um, X-Men Apocalypse was a nice movie. Uh, uh, Finding Dory, I liked. Um, Star Trek was a nice movie. Not a, neither one, nothing great, but they were okay installments in their series. Chris, uh, I would use the term forgettable for this summer. Um, there's just not too much that has really stood out in the mind that you know is going to linger in your heart and soul for years afterwards. Whereas, you know, I saw a number of movies last year where I immediately knew upon seeing it, I was like, wow, this movie is going to really be cherished by me for years to come. And as I said, it's really been a very heavy movie on sequels, reboots, remakes, a lot of stuff that we've seen before. So people sort of need a really good reason to go see it. And I think like with, for example, for the Ghostbusters movie, I mean, other than, you know, switching up the gender of the cast. OK, I like that. That's a, that's an intriguing idea to me. But that's just a starting point. You've got to actually go on from there and do something that's interesting and different from the original movie. To give people a really compelling reason to go see it, particularly you know the women hating trolls on internet, uh, you know at least give them a reason to oh I'll, I'll 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 try it out and see what it is. And unfortunately, so many movies have just been like Ed said; they've just been sort. Of, I mean, you know, Finding Dory, you know, Finding Nemo is to me one of the all-time great animated mm -hmm. films. And this was just sort of you know it was it was just good. I, that's, I that's, called it. Uh, I'm sorry. I called it. Mon it was this year's Monsters University. Yeah. Okay. Nice to see everybody. Not nearly as groundbreaking, but nice. Yeah. yeah. It's like second tier. Everything has just felt second tier. Yeah. I was a little more uh, on finding Dory. Um, I, they, at the very beginning of the film, they have the pre uh, the, the prologue with her parents as they teach her to tell people about her handicap. So they establish basically right from the start. This is my special needs child. Mm -hmm. I really like the idea of a, a huge movie aimed at children and families that starred a special needs character. 
-hmm. So it, it's a couple notches higher up for me. Okay. Let's talk because we have lived now in, in really since uh, for the, probably the past decade in the superhero dominated era. And we did see this summer some signs that that might be slowing down a little bit. The two big ones so far, obviously, the two were were Batman v Superman and uh, versus Superman and uh, Captain America. One was just absolutely murdered by critics. <laughs> yeah, uh, not just us. <laughs> yeah. Murdered by critics, and the other was somewhat um, embraced, even though you know on the surface, in some ways, they were very similar films. Yeah, Chris, your thoughts. Uh, I also throw uh, X Men Apocalypse in there as kind of the the uh, stepbrother of those two movies. Yeah, you know, the, the two of them were just you know pretty good, just sort of continuing a story that you know doesn't have as much vitality as it used to. Um, and the Batman one was just it's it's just a hot mess from beginning to end. Um, the problem with that movie is you know they kept building up obviously the title Batman versus Superman. We're going to see Batman versus Superman fight, um, and really you know. Even watching the trailers, you know they're going to end up as friends in the end. I mean, it's Batman versus Superman colon Dawn of Justice. So this is <laughs> what that movie really was. Was It was like the first Avengers movie. Mm -hmm. It was about the formation of the Justice League. And we saw a few of the other guys, and they're going to come up bigger in the next movie. But when you start off with a premise where you know we're selling you the fight rather than what really happens – you're just going to end up disappointing. So, people. Chris, are you saying maybe if during uh, maybe Captain America and Tony Stark, maybe if their moms had the same first name, we wouldn't oh, nearly have that? Yeah, yeah I, I went there. I, yeah. I kept if, over the over the summer and early summer, or, uh, late spring. There, there's there's a, a show on MeTV that I love called uh, Svanguli, which is based out of Chicago. And one of the films they showed was the old Universal uh, Frankenstein versus the Wolfman. This is the one with Bella as Frank as the Frankenstein monster, and of course. With that title, and of course, they only fight in the last 90 seconds of the film. <laughs> Zack Snyder has taken that old premise and, of course, ballooned it up to two and a half hours, three hours on DVD and Blu-ray. And the fight scene's a little longer, but not nearly as fun. The, the airport fight scene in Civil War, I, I think that's one of the highlights oh, of the that year. Was fun. It was more fun. than More than the film itself. It is, to use an old wrestling term, the battle royale, um, where everybody is involved and everybody got some screen time. And... Peter Parker's aunt keeps getting younger and younger. I think Ariel Winter from Modern Family <laughs> is going to play the aunt in the next film. Sorry, Marissa. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I, I liked Captain America. I didn't love it, but I did love that fight. Yeah. That's, what, that's what Batman versus Superman should have been. That was fun because, you know, in the Marvel Universe, they're careful to always, you know, kind of keep the heroes and villains roughly on the same level in terms of reputation and power and what they can do. The very problem with the Batman versus Superman and the premise is, Batman. Any real fight between Batman versus Superman, <laughs> as anyone who's read a comic for even a minute knows, thank you, Sheldon, would last two seconds or less. Yeah. So the whole movie is just you know trying to come up with these reasons of like, well, here's why it wouldn't actually last a little bit longer, and Batman might have a chance. And it's just like, boy. And if yeah. you're gonna have a Batman versus Superman, it would be a good idea to include Superman in the movie. <laughs> the guy we saw was Doctor Manhattan from The Watchmen, yeah. with clothes he on. He was a, a, a levitating glowering alien who looks like he might blast us with his eye beams at any moment. Yeah. So, still, where's the fun in that? Still made $857 million, though. That's the other thing we have to think about. It's not just here. I mean, if it if it doesn't do well in the States, it, it, it's a, got a good chance to make up its money in Europe and Asia. Why, why did we still have Sly and Arnold movies in the 90s because of that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And obviously, Captain America worked better. Some of it was tone too. I mean, the fact that even though it was, you had the the Avengers ripping apart, um, there was some humor. I mean, that, mm -hmm. uh, and the thing about Batman versus Superman is it was a pretty long and dreary walk. It, yeah, I have to. I will say it's not. It's not the worst film. I remember we were at the uh -huh. the initial screening. Somebody said it was not uh, not a critic, but a viewer said it was worse than Green Lantern. No, <laughs> but no. Uh, but I did I did like Ben Affleck's take on it. Yeah. He, you know, Bruce Wayne is older. He's a little more grizzled. There's a word he says in the film which I can't say here on the air. But that little moments like that, and and the presence, and again, not enough Wonder Woman. But there were 
some light And that moments. exploded, yeah. When, when Wonder Woman came onto the screen, at least in the, the showing I was in, it's, you could hear all of the women in the audience. It's, yeah. it's like adding hot sauce and Parmesan to leftovers and reheating in the microwave. It's much needed. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, there were, there were moments of that. And hopefully in the next film, you, when you have Jeremy Irons, Amy Adams, and Lawrence Fishburne, among others, you use them more, hopefully. Yeah. Do you think this will, the fact that it did not perform well, um, you know, that the critics murdered it, will, sh- will slow down? And I think the X-Men film didn't do as well as predecessors, right? No, th- will that it, slow it down a little bit, the, this trend towards superhero movies? Well, we got, well, of course, I've seen the trailer for Wonder Woman, and then I know, you know, Justice League is coming. Mm-hmm. So maybe after that, I don't know. I mean, if you have three, if you have three DC duds, and then I guess Suicide Squad's also in the mix. Mm-hmm. But if you start to underperform, something's, something has to change. I think some contracts will be renegotiated. You know, and the budgets may get knocked down a little bit, but both both Marvel and DC have announced these big, elaborate, multi-year schedules, and so far they haven't blinked. Yeah, it always amazes me. Uh, this is an aside, taking it though that they, you know, you've got all of these films that are premised on these actors and actresses being able to to squeeze into <laughs> costumes that uh, that are skin tight and look incredibly buff. That they're not taking into consideration the passage of time. Well, that's like with yeah. Sony. I mean, Sony. I mean, they're they're going to keep they're going to hold on to Spider Man through you know until they're cold dead hands. So you can just keep going. I was I was kind of joking about who's going to be who in the next Spider Man films, but they can do that. I mean, yeah. we've gone from Tobey Maguire to um, uh, oh gosh, uh, Andrew, Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Thank you, and uh, and then to the new guy who's I guess nineteen. So mm-hmm. you know, I think they're good for a ten few or eleven years, years anyway. Right, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, you can you can keep upgrading, downgrading, whatever it is, and and they they start to become toy pieces. They're yeah. interchangeable. We're also seeing this migration now where we're we're seeing smaller superhero stories, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of them on television and yeah. uh, Netflix and things like that. Where you know you take like a Daredevil, you know, mm-hmm. which is a good fit for a Netflix series because it's something you can do on a lot, much lower budget and sort of do that grittier version that's you know more episodic that works for television. Um, I think Ed's got it right. You probably what you'll see is some of these, you know, budgets on these movies maybe coming. You know, so instead of spending two hundred million dollars on a superhero movie, maybe they'll spend one hundred and twenty million dollars. Um, but you know, they're still, it, relatively speaking, they're still doing very, very well. Yeah. These ones haven't done as well, just because I think people would agree they weren't as good. But still, like I just looked it up, X Men Apocalypse still made five hundred and thirty-four million dollars uh, globally. I don't think anyone's complaining about it. Even the most creative Hollywood accountant can't, you know, hide a profit on that. This is the Summer Movie Show on No Limits. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. Send us an email at nolimits at wfyi.org. Or find us on social media. My guests are Matthew Sosi, Christopher Lloyd, and Ed Johnson-Ott. I'm John Kroll. You're listening to No Limits. Please stay with us. Welcome back to No Limits. I am John Crawl, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the StatehouseFile.com, and your host. We're talking movies today on No Limits. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. You can send an email to nolimits at wfyi.org. You can find us on Facebook, as a listener named Damaris has done. Uh, and you would find us at nolimits at wfyi.org or on Twitter, at, uh, at WFYI. Maris says, I wonder why epic love stories seem to be a thing from the past. Any idea when we're going to see another Notebook or Bridges of Madison County? And Fifty Shades of Grey doesn't count. <laughs> Even there, there all the some. other Nicholas Sparks movies seem contrived. Give me a, a good love story, and I'm happily exchanging my hard-earned dollars for a front-row seat and large popcorn. Well, there's one coming up. Um, it's much more in the dramatic romantic mold as opposed to just, you know, romantic uh, type of film. It's called Loving, uh, and it's based on a true story about a man and a woman, uh, interracial marriage, I think, in the 1950s. Oh, yeah. they, they actually mm-hmm. end up getting arrested mm-hmm. for, for being married. Uh, I, I believe Joel, Joel Edgerton. Edgerton stars in that. Mm-hmm. So that that is getting a lot of uh, uh, interesting notice there. So I mean, Is it the Loving of uh, the Supreme Court yes. case? Yes. Okay, yeah. 
And there was, oh gosh, because the title wasn't that. There was one earlier this year. I don't think it was Nicholas Sparks, but it was uh, Amelia Clark was in it. Um, with the with the hunky quadriplegic, yes, Richard Probst hated it with an undying. Yes, passion. he did, and I. Uh, th- this this, me, this me before you, me before you. Thank you. So right. there there is that which should be out on video in a couple. Of, by the way, that was a note. That was the first time I took my daughter and her friend to a movie, and Mrs. Sosie and I were there, and we had to sit separate. Oh, no. we've reached we've reached that stage now. Um, there is a film that came out on. DVD and Blu-ray last week that I absolutely adored, and it's one of the ones that's one of my top films of the year so far, and it's called Sing Street from John mm. Carney, the writer and director of Once and Begin Again. It's set in Dublin in 1985, and it's a boy who forms a band to impress a girl. And it's it captures... Are there any other reasons that boys form bands, really? Well, <laughs> you're, you're talking them into yeah. being the model in your yeah. video. You can do that in 1985. You can't do that yeah. today. But but it, yeah. but you know it it captures the influence of MTV and how one kid is writing a song and he listens to Duran Duran and it sounds a lot like Duran Duran. Then he sees a video by The Cure and it sounds a lot like The Cure. And next thing you know, there's a bass line that sounds a lot like Man Eater yeah. by Hall and Oates. I mean, it is it is my favorite romantic movie of the year so far, and it's it's a small film, but I'm hoping more people will see it on video. And we'll we'll get back to dissecting the 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 blockbusters here in a bit. But why don't we talk, because I always feel like this is part when we have these discussions that sort of gets short short shift. Let's talk about the the quiet little films. I mean, the the ones that kind of flew under the radar screen. Have there been any other films like that one that... That uh, you know, not a lot of people have heard about. Not uh, didn't find huge audiences. Chris, I'm going to go with Chris on that one first. Yeah, I've got several I can think of. In fact, looking at this summer and even you know going back into the spring, really the, the, the story this year is there have been really good movies out there, but they have been the smaller, quieter films this year. Which isn't to say the the big ones are always going to be bad. And mm-hmm. but uh, some I can uh, pick off right at the top of my head. Sing Street, I highly endorse. Just yep. a, the most beautiful. I would put that in my top three for the year. There's one, uh, I think it just came out, it might still be in theaters, Captain Fantastic. Yeah. Vigo Mortensen as a father raising his six children in the wilderness, and then they have to re-enter. Just out on video, Elvis and Nixon with uh, Michael Shannon and Kevin Spacey, two great character actors. I don't, it just kind of disappeared in the theaters, uh, and that's very funny and very insightful. Uh, there's one with Maggie's Plan with um, uh, Ger- Greta, Greta Gerwig, Gerwig, who's just seems like she's just on a fantastic role right now. Uh, and probably my favorite movie of the year still is a tiny little film called Everybody Wants Some uh, that I, I don't think anybody saw other than me, it feels like. It's set in 1980, uh, made by Richard Linklater, mm-hmm. uh, and it's essentially a companion piece to uh, his early films. Uh, and it's just, it's just a, a movie about these guys at college just going around, having fun, drinking, talking to girls, going to parties, almost plotless. Uh, I just adore it. Me too. Mm. Me too. Ed, how about you? Quiet, quiet little films or, or things that flew under the radar screen? Two um, unique films. The Lobster, which mm. I think just now left theaters. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. it might still be at a few, uh, which was uh, in the future, if you become single... You are taken to a hotel. You have 40 days to find a mate. If you don't find a mate within that period of time, they turn you into an animal and set you free in the forest. It's a really good movie. Yeah, very Richard K. Dick kind of thing. Yeah. And then then we have Swiss Army Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where to even start. I could uh, A man ready, Paul Dano. Uh, Dano or Dano? Dano. I think it's Dano. Dano uh, is a castaway on a desert island ready to kill himself when he spots something in the water. That Mm. something turns out to be the corpse of Daniel Radcliffe. And the film is about their relationship. And that's... (laughs) Beyond that, it just Uh, gets gross. You can't... Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's touching at times. It's funny as can be at times. It's stunning at times. And the American audience collectively read all the reviews and said, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Matthew. Uh, there's a, speaking of warped love stories, uh, there's the drama A Bigger Splash 
which has uh, Tilda Swinton, Rafe Fiennes, Dakota Johnson, and Matthias Schneibus. Hope I'm saying that right. But it's uh, it's four people getting together in the south of Italy. Tilda Swinton's a rock star, and uh, oh. Matthias is her lover, oh. and her ex producer slash lover Rafe Fiennes and his daughter Dakota Johnson. It doesn't quite go into Tennessee Williams territory, but you could see the hallway and the room where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's because there's a film opening uh, in a couple of weeks called Florence Foster Jenkins, the Meryl Streep can't sing movie. There was a French. <laughs> there's a French film that came out earlier this year, the exact same story called Marguerite. That I hope more people will see when it's out on video. Catherine Fraught plays the lead, and she won the the French equivalent of uh, the Oscars, the César for Best Actress on that. Um, a fun look at a 1930s uh, socialite who has the money and the backing of her husband and, and all of this uh, fanfare when she cannot actually sing. And it, it's a great look at... Sounds like Citizen Kane. Well, kind of, yeah, plot. actually it is yeah. that. So it is, but it does, of course, talk about what is and what makes or what does not make a celebrity. Um, and then a film that I only went to see because there was one person cast in it, and it turned out to be even better than that, but uh, a thriller called Green Room about a rock band that witnesses a murder inside the green room of a white supremacy bar, and they're hiding, and the, the skinhead white supremacist bar owner is played by Patrick Stewart, mm. who is so frightening in this. And it's also of note, one of the last films with uh, Anton Yelchin, the guy who, of course, yes. was Chekhov in, in the Star Trek films. But, uh, but probably my favorite thriller of the year, and I would like to see something top that in the, in the thriller department. We've gotten uh, another Facebook question from a listener named Janet who says, can your guests talk about what they think are the best movies for grown-ups? By this, I mean something other than the action and superhero movies that we, uh, <laughs> that we are geared for, or that are geared to the, to the frat boy crowd. <laughs> so, well, Janet, up, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. Coming yeah. up in a couple of weeks is a movie called Equity which I was lucky enough to see last night, uh, about uh, Wall Street financing. The difference with this film is that the top, uh, the, big, the big top four characters are all female, um, which shouldn't make any difference, but it does. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's, a, it's a very nice piece of work for grown-ups and definitely worth your time. How about other thoughts? I, I would say right, right now in theaters, and I, I'm one of those that I've not ever gotten off his uh, his bandwagon but Woody Allen's new film uh, Cafe Society uh, mm-hmm. which is just it's a it's a trifle I mean it's mm-hmm. it's a lightweight um, probably middle of the road Woody Allen but I think middle of the road Woody Allen is better than most people's film auteur theory Chris but it's uh, <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg playing not Woody Allen and he's torn between Kristen Stewart <laughs> torn between Kristen Stewart and Blake Lively in 1930s Hollywood and New York it looks great as Vittorio Storaro is doing the cinematography and it, it, it brings up a question which he's do- dived into before with films like Hannah and Her Sisters mm-hmm. of uh, you know can you can you actually fall in love with two people in your lifetime and in, and in some cases at the same time um, it's it's lightweight entertainment for grown-ups and thank you for saying grown-ups and not adults mm-hmm. adult movies for adults is a whole different category which yeah. we won't yeah. get into well, yeah, here. yeah we won't go there <laughs> we won't go there Chris I would probably just reiterate some of the ones I said my favorites from this year that uh, um, Sing Street I would definitely put in that category Elvis and Nixon uh, Captain Fantastic uh, Maggie's Plan Ed, yeah. one for grown-ups that Chris I know will echo me on Hell or High Water opens up in a couple yeah. weeks. Yes. Uh, Ooh, boy. Yeah, that's, a, that's one that's coming out. Uh, in general release, it was played in uh, Indie Film Fest. Uh, probably, if it's not my number one, it's not my number two favorite film of the year. Yeah. Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine. Ben Foster. Ben Foster. Just an amazing film. If you are just joining us, we are talking about, uh, this is our summer movie show, so we're talking about movies. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can do so by calling us at 866-476-3881. You can send an email to nolimits at wfyi.org. You can find us on Facebook at nolimitswfyi or on Twitter at wfyi. So let's uh, so that we can end this show on a high note, normally I, I find myself rushing to start talking about disappointment. Why don't we talk about disappointments now so we can get to the good stuff and close with that. Um, so let's talk about the biggest disappointments, the uh, the films that you might have been looking forward to that 
that you know no just didn't work i'll start with you matthew you, you mean besides batman versus superman yeah well although i remember you know, all three of you were kind of dreading it when we yeah. laughed yeah so i kind of um I, I was looking through to, uh, what's been great at least in my case is i've been able to cherry pick a little bit of what i want to see and don't see i guess that's when you're a one-man operation like a like film sociology but there there are certain actors that i wish would especially of a certain age that would just give me one more home run or at least a really solid stand-up triple. And, uh, well, I didn't get that watching Robert De Niro in Dirty Grandpa. Oh. Uh, you know, but he, he got probably more money for that than any of the films he did in his 70s, early 80s heyday. Uh, I know he got a nomination a couple years ago for Silver Linings Playbook, and that was that was a stand-up double. I would like a stand-up triple <laughs> from, uh, from Bob. But... Uh, yeah, I, and it was one of those. Sometimes, as, as Ed and, and Chris will back me up, sometimes you just have to review something that week. And I think yeah. that that was one of those things of, oh, there's nothing else opening this. Okay, I'll see it, and and I did. So mm-hmm. yeah, sad. And you don't feel good about it. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I know Zach uh, Efron's got to do yeah, stuff because yeah. he's in his twenties, but he's you know, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, Ed. Um, I'm torn between two. Alice through the Looking Glass is. Johnny Depp not even hitting a foul ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I guess Independence Day Resurgence is just, I mean, even with my low expectations, it was shockingly, shockingly bad. It was just one, it was so inept on so many levels. <laughs> okay, Chris. Disappointments. Uh, there's a lot of ones that, movies that I, maybe I wasn't thinking they're going to be great, but I thought they'd be at least be pretty good. Um, so Ghostbusters would fall into that category. I really, I really wanted that movie to be good. I really love that cast. I love what some of them. Kate McKinnon, I thought was amazing. She's probably going to be the breakout star of that film. But yeah, it just ended up being not that funny and being too much of a you know a nod to the old movie. Warcraft uh, again. I, I don't think in my heart of hearts I was expecting that to be good, but I love that genre and I was hoping it would be competent, <laughs> and it was not. Uh, I played World of Warcraft uh, in the years B.C., before mm-hmm. children. Uh, so I was hoping they would at least flesh out that world mm-hmm. a little bit, and they didn't. What did – I mean, one of the persistent themes here is that uh, – that I'm hearing is that with a lot of these these films, they've just gone to the well too often. I that, need to apologize to yeah. readers because Jason Bourne, in our summer movie preview, I wrote, Jason Bourne, Matt Damon – Paul Greengrass, I guarantee you this will be the best movie of the summer. <laughs> oh. I, you know, it's, I, I, Paul Greengrass is strange because I loved Bloody Sunday. I loved United 93. United 93 was the best film of that year, in my opinion. But when he works with Damon, I need Dramamine. Even yeah. even something like Green Zone, I get really woozy watching him, and I'm usually and I sound like an old person on the front porch of, with your handheld cameras and your fast editing and all that. But man, it's I just get queasy watching his stuff. Well, I was just, I got to admit I saw that film uh, with with my son. I was disappointed that they didn't title it Born Again. Nah. But, <laughs> Give him time. <laughs> but but yeah, there was a sense okay. Basically, we've seen this movie before, yeah. over and over and over again. And some of that is that, you know, even when we're talking about the Batman versus Superman thing, I thought, geez, uh, they're churning through some of the classic graphic novels here. They they managed to exploit both uh, The Dark Knight Returns and uh, The Death of Superman in one movie. <laughs> Either one of those, you might have thought, would have been enough. Uh, to carry a film by itself. Chris, you look like you want to say something here. <laughs> a lot, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm all for doing, you know, superhero movies now until the end of time. You know, as long as they're good. As long as you mm-hmm. can, you know, go from point A to point B and point B to point C. You, you, you've got to take the characters, you've got to take the story, and you've got to go somewhere. Um, the problem is when they're just trying to just take magic in a bottle and recapture it again just because that movie made a lot of money, and so we want to make a lot more of that money. And there doesn't really seem to be much goals beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can you can tell when filmmakers aren't trying. Um, so I, I like it when they do things that, that just take us beyond what we knew about the characters. You know, break the mold and and do something different. We were talking offline just a moment ago. How many Superman Superman movies and characters have we done? And people will retcon these stories from 
you know, high kingdom on down, but no one's ever thought of saying, you know, the whole Clark Kent idea is just stupid. The idea that nobody can't recognize him because he puts mm-hmm. on eyeglasses. Why don't we get rid of that? I mean, that's a very easy thing to do of, like, you know, tell the story of Superman because, you know, as Kevin Smith famously said, you know, Superman is the real guy and Clark Kent is the disguise he puts on. Well, and I, I'm even thinking, like, with the Star Trek movie, which I, uh, I think Ed said is a competent installment. I saw that, and with, uh, with both my, my son and my daughter, and they liked it um, quite a bit, but they asked me my response, and I thought, well, you know, if I'm really being honest here, Part of it is, yes, Christopher Pine and, uh, you know, the new cast, perfectly competent. Mm-hmm. But I I really would be pr- prefer with these stories to be watching William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest <laughs> Kelly. Uh, you then get a shovel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I mean, my point <laughs> right. is I'll go back and watch the TV series of the earlier movies. Although it should be noted, there's a fun moment because mm-hmm. Simon Pegg co-wrote the screenplay, yeah. of course, is Scotty. And I don't... I, I, I want to hear the the directors talk about this, but the scene where he's with the, the white uh, alien figure and their team together, and she picks up her giant bazooka sword thing, and he just picks up a rock. And it, it, with no effort whatsoever, and it looked like the old throwback of the foam rocks yes. from the 1960s when you could you know, have no effort whatsoever. And I thought, if there was more of that and less motorcycle chases and Beastie Boy music, because uh. um, you know, it's also from the director of The Fast and Furious, which yeah. obviously we could see in a few moments when you can uh, run from one end of your craft to another with, before it falls off a cliff, a la Paul Walker. Yes. yes. I do think they figured out with this film that... It's okay to make a really good installment of the ongoing Star Trek show yeah. instead of making the big restarting the whole thing yeah. and and reinventing the wheel, as it were. If you are just joining us, we are talking about uh, the summer movie season. We've brought the old band back together again. My guests are Matthew Sosi of WFYI's Film Sociology, Christopher Lloyd of the Film Yap, and Ed Johnson Ott of Nuvo. If you'd like to join the conversation and talk with us about movies, talk about the things that you liked and didn't like in the theaters, or you've got a question or want a recommendation for the weekend, please feel free to give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. You can send an email to no limits at WFYI.org. You can find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI, or you can track us down on Twitter at WFYI. I'm John Crawl. You're listening to No Limits. Please stay with us. Welcome back to No Limits. I am John Crawl, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the statehousefile.com, and your host. This is our summer movie show. We are talking with uh, Matthew Sosi of WFYI's Film Sociology, Christopher Lloyd of the Film Yep, and Ed Johnson Ott of Nuvo. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can give us a call at 866-476-3881. You can send an email, as a listener named Kendra has done, to no limits WFYI.org, or you can find us on social media. Kendra's question is, where does one see all the narrowly distributed movies, like Green Room? They sure don't play out here in suburbia. Well, it depends on uh, which suburb, I guess, uh, yeah. you're at. Uh, we, uh, little, I guess, peeking behind the curtain, we often, as critics, will get screeners to watch at home. Don't bother us. Uh, but then we also have uh, screenings sometimes uh, for just the press, and of course the advanced screenings in evening with uh, with a whole audience. But there there is a there is a theater on the north side of town, uh, the Keystone Arts, that shows a lot of these. Also, every now and then we will get some films where it'll play, it looks like an art film, but it won't play at the quote-unquote art theater. It'll play at one screen in Indianapolis, or even stranger, it'll play one screen in Indy, one screen in Evansville, and one screen in Fort Wayne. I thought, why isn't this getting a bigger release here in Indianapolis? So it's a matter of really just going online and uh, and looking at the movie uh, movie pages and find out what's there. And, and landmark Keystone Arts yep. most of the time. Yep, and, and every now and then, somebody like AMC Castleton might have one or two screens, but it's just a matter of actually just going out and looking. We've also gotten uh, a Facebook question from a listener named Gary. He says, I have a question about the figures released. And he's used the example of uh, $800 million made so far for, I think it was Batman versus Superman. 
the number is revenue generated, right? The theaters get a percentage of the revenue, and that is the distribution channel, right? Will movies be distributed without theaters since the movies need the most profit achievable? Probably ought to walk through what the real economics are. My understanding has always been with movie theaters that they don't get any of the ticket price. That's Very. why they have they have the concessions are so important to them. They want to want to keep you from bringing any food in or anything like that. Christopher. Uh, as a former exhibitor, as they say, uh, I knew the rules, what they were back then. They may have changed, but you know, in the old days, at least, uh, it was a 90-10 split. When a new movie came out, the studio kept 90%, the theater kept 10%. Uh, and then as the movie gets older and is in theaters longer and eventually moves to those quote-unquote second-run theaters, that split becomes more and more favorable to the theater. Um, so when you're talking about you know whether a movie is profitable and literally whole books have been written about this, you know the very rough rule of thumb is when you're talking about the budget of a film like you know a big uh, summer blockbuster that costs like 150 million dollars, that's just the actual making of the movie, paying everyone, etc. So to you know take care of the theaters end and the marketing costs and the distribution costs, the rough rule of thumb is double that. So mm. if a movie costs 150 million dollars to make. Uh, it needs to make three hundred million dollars at the box office to break even, and that wow. doesn't. But that doesn't get into video and uh, streaming services and all other forms of revenue that exist now. Well, and the larger his other question is: Are we looking at a time when maybe uh, movies will be <laughs> will be a non-theater experience when they're presented to you in other fashions? Well, they've been, they've been that way yeah. for a while. I remember it was Steven Soderbergh's film Bubble, which yeah. was the first film to be released in theaters and. Uh, on video at, at the, the same, same time. time, and then I can't remember where one was released in theaters and on VOD, on video on demand, at the same time. Yeah, and you're seeing like Netflix is producing movies now, like Beasts of No Nation that came out in theaters mm -hmm. and then was also available at the same time. There's some blurring, but it's still kind of taking place at the edges, mainly because there's just this huge infrastructure uh, that you know wants to feed itself, and so people are very fearful about giving too much over. Um, there actually is a service, I forget the name of it, um, but it's, it's basically just for the 1%, where you can pay a, a fearsome fee and watch movies that are, you know, like the Friday it comes out in the theaters, you can watch it at home on this streaming service in high def. I, I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's, it really is It's just for the very, very elite. Yeah, people with more money than sense. And future, yeah. future uh, people yeah. that live on that planet in Wally. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about movies here on No Limits. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can do what a listener named Andrew has done and give us a call at 866-476-3881. Andrew, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? Doing well. What's on your mind? Well, you know what's funny? Jason Bourne, you know, the super spy, never heard of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing to me. He wears a hat one time in the, in the film. And, you know, he's walking around. He's apparently the most recognizable super spy on the planet. And mm. um, he, he doesn't know to put a hoodie over mm -hmm. his head. But I think the interesting thing is um, I thought that Civil War was particularly good. And I think that Marvel may have a decent formula. I think what they've done is <clears throat> over these multiple movies, they have made you, you know, they've established the backstories. And now we get into the story, uh, which I think is. It's fairly interesting. Um, it does. This summer, though, really does make you nostalgic for Mad Max last year. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much for the call, Andrew. Thanks. Take care. Well, and some of that is also uh, Marvel got really, really lucky, or they were very good with the casting, too. I mean, who would have thought that Chris Evans would be the kind of presence he has been. Too. Yeah, he has evolved, because I, I remember when he first came onto the scene, I know, I think a film of note is Cellular, mm -hmm. where he was the hero in that, which is kind of a, an expensive B-movie, and if you have, you know, if you have nachos and beer, that's a fun evening to watch it with that. But, but yeah, he, he has really grown a, as an actor, and more than just being, you know, the, the, the great white stiff male hero. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's been fun watching him do this, and I, I can't wait to see, you know, the non-Captain America stuff that he, he, he gets to do later on. Mm -hmm. I like his Captain America a lot better than his uh, Human Torch. Torch, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there's that. We've gotten an email question from a listener named Jeff, uh, and if you'd like to reach out to us by email, you can find us at no limits at wfyi.org. says, it's so frustrating to hear people say that there's nothing good out there to rent, sort of like people being in the middle of the library and saying <laughs> there, there are no good books in here. Can you give a suggestion for a good classic movie that you enjoy? I'm going to give each one of you a crack at this because I know that's classic. sort of like, pardon? Classic. 
I, I'm sorry. Do you? Yeah, I got one. Because okay. I, I only because I was I read the book about the making of this film when I was on vacation, uh, but uh, and I'm going to be inflicting it on my family later in the next couple of weeks. But Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film that was made in 1976 about the powers of television and how mm-hmm. news has become uh, entertainment and mad profits of the airwaves and soothsayers and TV shows being <laughs> linked with. Uh, actually, it was funny. We've been hearing the Patty Hearst uh, news items mm-hmm. this week uh, as far as a book written about her. And this is 1976, and it's yeah. it's even more relevant today. I think uh, Network and Idiocracy would be a great double feature. <laughs> about how we have uh, evolved or devolved as a society and great performances and a great script from Patty Chayefsky directed by Sidney Lumet. Yes. Right, yeah. Mike, too, uh, you, um, the Philadelphia story, just it's just such a love letter to the English language. Uh, I loved listening to those characters talk. And then more contemporary, in Bruges. Um, <laughs> they talk real foul mouth, but, boy, they, you know, it's a, it's a really high-quality, surprising film. <laughs> I wouldn't watch the two together, I don't think. No. Uh, my all-time favorite film is probably The Bridge on the River Kwai, but I'd actually like instead to play off what Matthew said, a film in the fam- same genre is from 1987 called Broadcast News. Gosh, Just an film. amazing, amazing yeah. film. I still stick, yeah. Especially if you care about writing or television or journalism, it, it's still so immediate. And the film has kind of fallen in its reputation. Mm-hmm. You know, I do a bi-weekly uh, classic film column, and one thing I often talk in there is like, why, you know, why is this movie as famous as it is? It really isn't that good. Or why isn't this movie known more? Because it's absolutely fantastic. And that's an example of a movie that I think, for whatever reason, has fallen in people's estimations and best of lists and really shouldn't because it's just a beautiful film. And one of, the, one of the best films about journalism. And yes, I know last year was Spotlight. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the best films of the 80s. And I know Criterion just put that out. And I, I want to give a little shout out. And this is an unpaid endorsement from Criterion because some of the choices yeah. they make. I mean, you expect the art house avant-garde stuff, but uh, there was a last week. I now I'm proud to say I own a Blu-ray copy of Criterion's treatment of the in-laws with Peter Falk and Alan Arkin. And by the way, folks, if you like central intelligence with uh, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart, this was the father of that film. So go watch that. The smarter father. Much, much smarter. (laughs) Yeah. Big, uh, big salute to Andrew Bergman for, for making that film. But yeah, that's a, that's a great choice as well. And if you have Netflix, all of Albert Brooks movies are on Netflix, right? Yes. All of them, which means real life, which is most people Mm. haven't seen. And it's a wonderful film. Modern romance, modern romance, lost in America, defending Defending your life, defending your life. Yeah. Very underrated film. Mother, mother. Mother. If, if, if we ran the world and that would be frightening, Albert Brooks would be the man making 20 to $30 million a picture. We are talking about movies here on No Limits. Lance, welcome to the program. Yeah, how do you do? Doing well. What's on your mind? Well, um, I wanted to bring up uh, Green Room again. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess uh, uh, I, I saw it at um, Keystone Arts, and uh, friends who saw it say that I saw a different movie than they did because, to me, it was the anti-siege horror film and um, kind of the highlight because of my reaction to it. I left the theater laughing at all that I saw. Um, if you remember, lights under the floor lead to a room yep. that's, you know, that was kind of expected, but the dogs are a thing. The system feedback dogs are not a thing. The big bad mercenary guys, everything's made about these guys. They come in, and then one, one ends up joining them. Um, the fellow at the end who's cleaning up involved from the beginning says he's going to go turn himself in, and what does he do? He turns himself in. I, I laughed out loud. The dog walks away and goes to die with his dying owner. It just seemed like it was uh, intentionally crafted maybe to... To uh, to make uh, people like me notice that I'm going to question for you. See that mm-hmm. film? Yeah. Yes. yeah. I have a question for you. What part of America did Patrick Stewart's character come from? Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, it took place in Oregon, but where? I don't, I don't know. I have a counter to that. I, I mean, think I think he was one of the racist football hooligans from England who decided to move here oh, yeah, well, because the economy is better and mm-hmm. the real estate in Oregon is cheaper than it is in South uh, South London. Well, I brought right. it up so because that was, that was unusual as well. Of course, yeah. Now that I remember, yeah. <laughs> I brought it up because he was he uses an American accent, but it's not a Southern or so- Southeastern. It's a game show host American accent, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting hearing it in that context. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, well thanks very much for the call. The film continues to surprise. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> thanks very much. Well, it brings up an interesting thing for me, which is, to me, one of the most beautiful things about film is is that we do have disagreements about them, and there we have too much of you know people going along with the crowd of you know saying like, oh yeah, that's really good, that's really not good, yeah. when, and instead of just having your own opinion, I think that's one of the the things I've had to learn as a critic. You know, my own growth is you know be willing to stand up and say. I really didn't like it, even though everybody I know and respected did. Like, for instance, The Lobster, which, uh, you know, almost all the Indiana critics, you know, we talk to each other because we're in a club mm-hmm. together. You know, they just adore it. And I found it very emotionally barren film. And, you know, you have to be able to have that level of respect between yourself and your peers, you know, if you're a critic and your audience, to just agree to disagree and say that, I love something just because I love it, and that doesn't mean you have to. I you I was talking because I really enjoyed Green Room, and I was going back to thinking about um, I was I was eight when John Carpenter's Halloween was out in in theaters, and I saw it with my older brother and my dad, and uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of closed fingers, you know, clutching in front of my face. But the thing that threw me off because I saw Jaws three years before that, and that scared the daylights out of me. But I remember there were people laughing. Mm-hmm. During the movie, and that kind of threw me because I'm like, "What are you laughing about? It's a scary movie." But that is the that was my introduction to the concept of scary movies can be a thrill ride for some people, and some people like to take that ride, and some people absolutely do not. So I think that that you have such a mixed reaction in a crowd for for a film like Green Room. That's kind of cool, but everybody has their own ride choices. Yeah, gotten an email from a listener named Jim who uh, asks what you guys think of uh, Son of Saul. Um, I have a piece of advice I, I t- often tell people is when you see a film like that, that's a that's a powerful, powerful film, of course, about the, the Holocaust and a mm-hmm. guy who is working, you know, he's mm-hmm. working in the camps. Um, if you see that, don't go home. Don't go straight to bed. It's like don't argue and don't go to bed mad. Uh, watch Bob's Burgers. Watch Arch or something to cleanse mm-hmm. your palate. I mean, it is it is a kick to the chest. But it's a, I think it's a must-see kick in the chest. And when we've, I've seen in probably more than the average bear's share of films involving the Holocaust. But the opening scene and one of this, the the Saul character is basically picking up the remains after after the job has been done in the showers, going through wallets, going through mm-hmm. purses. It's absolutely horrendous. But it's a really, really powerful film. I've also gotten an email from another listener named Jim, different Jim, saying. I'm wondering how far away we are from being able to create our own movie using computer-based for Internet-based tools, including renderings of our favorite actors from any era. Well, famously, there was a last one, maybe not so famously, but uh, last year there was a film that was named uh, Tangerine, I think, that was shot entirely using an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it didn't become a mainstream hit, but it certainly was big on the festival circuit and got a lot of attention. So, I mean, from a technology standpoint, the tools are out there now. So, yeah. I, I guess what to take if I'm taking his question in the right way, he's also saying, you know, are we how far away are we from the point where we could see a new Humphrey Bogart? Film? I, didn't we yeah. see Fred Astaire dance with a vacuum cleaner in a commercial a few years ago? Yeah. So um, I hope they don't. No, uh, yeah, I hope. One of the things I, I I don't I don't necessarily like remakes of especially of really old movies because my my answer that I, the question I always want to scream at them is why or new movies. Why for that do matter. we need another movie? Why do we need a new Raiders of the Lost Ark? Why do we need mm-hmm. somebody else pretending to be Humphrey Bogart with you know computerized assistance? Let's just let a great thing in the past be a great thing in the past and make our own new things. And I like seeing actors make choices. I don't mm. want to see a technician working make. with the image of an actor make a choice, you know, for them. We've got just about a minute left here. So I'm going to say, you know, best film of the year, the one that people really ought to see, even if it's left theaters on Blu-ray or, or ordering it. I'll start with Chris on that one. I go back and forth, but probably right now, Hell or High Water is my favorite film of the year. Then I'll go with everybody wants some, just to balance it out. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go with Sing Street and, and grab a date. And grab a date. Okay, That's, Sing Street and grab a date. Okay. Well, no, no. The, I mean, say grab a date and go see Sing, Sing Street. Street. That's the okay. romantic film of the year. <laughs> okay. Sorry, heard, sorry, John. I had not heard of that one. I thought, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and of the films that are in the pipeline right now, what are the ones that you're most looking forward to? I'll start with that on that one. Doctor Strange. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Chiwetel Ejiofor. And it's, you know, it's a comic book, but it's a comic book that you could do a lot with this idea. Yeah. 
Matthew? I'll go with I'll go with Doctor Strange. Um, I, I actually don't look that far ahead because I'm trying to figure out what's opening next week to gear up for the show. But uh, but no, I think that's a solid choice. Christopher, you get the last word here. Probably the birth of a nation. I just finished saying I don't like remakes. This is not a remake of the I think 1915 film, which is technically marvelous and virulently racist. It's a completely <laughs> different saying, version. Morally, morally but uh, it, it looks amazing. It's gotten fantastic uh, talk about it, and I can't wait to see it. Well, I'd like to thank all three of you. As always, it's a pleasure to get together with you guys and talk movies. I'd like to thank my guests, uh, Christopher Lloyd of the Film Yap, Ed Johnson Ott of Nouveau, and Matthew Sosi of WFYI's own film sociology. Special thanks to the gang over at No Limits and, of course, my bosses here at WFYI for letting me share No Limits during film sociology. So until next time, go see a good movie. You deserve it. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan. Silent breed is people! Zardoz has spoken. Zardoz.